Is the church of Jesus Christ still relevant today? Well, what we've learned, when the church of Jesus Christ is relevant, when it exhibits a passion for the lost, when its heart and its soul is about winning one more for Jesus Christ. In addition, the church of Jesus Christ is relevant when it is generous in giving and meeting the needs of the world that is so lost and broken around us. A church that is self-sacrificing. The church of Jesus Christ is relevant in our world when we not only receive and allow to come over us the furious, overwhelming love of God that it simply pours out of us into the lives of other people. And last week we talked about the church of Jesus Christ being relevant when we're a church that reaches and teaches our children and our youth with the good news of God's amazing grace. Uh, Two weeks ago on our 25th uh, celebration, uh, someone visited for the first time and when we send when somebody visits, we send a letter of greeting and uh, a card, a first impressions card. And we ask them to fill it out. We put a stamp on it to make them feel guilty. So they'll mail it. And uh, and then, you know, first impressions. What did you like best? What did you like least? What would you like to hear a sermon on? So this was two weeks ago uh, when I preached on the overwhelming love of God and the family put. We'd love to hear a sermon about children, how to reach children for Christ. And, of course, I didn't know that because the, the, the card didn't come to the week after. But that's what we preached on last week. So I believe sometimes that God has a way of getting us in the right place with the right ears to hear his word. Today, the church of Jesus Christ is relevant when it satisfies the hungry and quenches those who are thirsty. Several months ago, um, a man came to my office. This doesn't normally happen because my secretaries are really good watchdogs. But this guy somehow got past them into my office and uh, he just wanted to talk. Now, usually when somebody does that, what they want is money. And, and I understand that. And we try to give them some food and like that. So I, I'm not banging that. But that's usually usually what happens. But this guy's really wanted to talk. So it was a, a God thing that he was able to uh, get into my office. So. Uh, we talk, I said, well, how can I help you? And he said, well, I, I, I'm hungry. I said, well, we've got some food out in the narthex. No, 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 no. He said, I've got plenty of food. He said, there's something inside of me that's uh, yearning, longing for something else. And I don't know what it is. And he told me a story and his life is really goofed up and all kinds of things going on. But what he was, what he was longing for, what he was searching for, what he was thirsty for what he was hungry for was the living God. It wasn't about food or a job or a relationship or money or religion. It was about God filling up that God-sized void inside of each and every one of us. The Bible speaks to that yearning, that longing, that thirst. And if the church doesn't speak to that, who will? The late Howard Hughes, a recluse in his latter days, as you know, one of the last things he said was this, I am so lonely and so empty and so unsatisfied. What am I to do? 
Now, this was one of the wealthiest men in the world when he died. I am so lonely and so empty and so unsatisfied. What am I to do? Well, the church needs to speak into that. And the Bible does speak into that need. That kind of longing, that kind of hunger can drive us to extraordinary measures to meet and satisfy our needs, right? Well, let me give you some examples uh, on a more humorous note. Anytime I, I'm going uh, to abuse you with uh, the Bible and make you feel guilty, I need to make you laugh first. So, um, so that's kind of my plan. So, so each year, uh, you've heard of the Darwin Awards, and these are given out to those uh, honoring those who are the least evolved among us. And uh, some of them are compelled. Some of these people are compelled by their hunger and first thirst. And all of these are true stories. Listen, listen to this. After stopping for drinks at, a, at, a, at an illegal bar, a Zimbabwean bus driver found that 20 metal patients he was supposed to be transporting had escaped from his bus. Not wanting to admit his incompetence, the driver went to a nearby bus stop and offered everyone waiting there a free ride. He then delivered the passengers to the mental hospital, telling the staff that the patients were very excitable and prone to bizarre fantasies. The deception wasn't discovered for three months. Well, here's another thirst story. It seems there's an there was an Arkansas man who wanted some beer pretty badly. He decided that he'd just throw a cinder block through a liquor store window, grab some booze, and run. So he lifted the cinder block and heaved it over his head at the window. The cinder block bounced back and hit the would-be thief on the head, knocking him unconscious. The liquor store, of course, was made of plexiglass. The whole event was caught on videotape. And if you're hungry... How about this? An Ann Arbor news crime column reported that a man walked into a Burger King in Ypsilanti, Michigan at 5 a.m., flashed a gun, demanded cash. The clerk turned him down because he said he couldn't open the cash register without a food order. When the man ordered onion rings, the clerk said they weren't available for breakfast. The man, frustrated and angry, walked away and said, I'm going to McDonald's. And he did where he was apprehended. <laughs> Hunger and thirst can be powerful needs in our lives. Now, let me ask you an important question. What are you hungry for? I mean, really, deep down, what is it that you long desperately for in your soul? A church that is relevant can point a hungry man to food a thirsty woman to water that quenches. A relevant church is not necessarily a rich church or a large church or an innovative church or a cool church, but a relevant church is a kingdom church that exhibits this beatitudinal hunger and thirst after righteousness. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You exhibit a hunger for righteousness. You exhibit a thirst for God. And those desires, the promise of Matthew 5, 6, the promise of the Beatitudes, the promise of the kingdom of God is they will be filled. It's a promise from God. Hunger and thirst is real. Now, remember, I've been telling you, in fact, the last month, um, 
that uh, our world's population was going to hit the seven billion mark. And mark, and I said because that's what was forecasted, it would happen before the end of the year. Anybody know when it happened? Last Tuesday. Last Tuesday, at least I was with the paper. So, I mean, this thing is moving fast. So, but of those seven billion people in our world, almost one and a half billion of those people, about 17 percent of them, are starving. They have stunted bodies, damaged brains because of inadequate food and water and nutrition. Num- hunger and starvation is by far the number one killer in the world. There's just something wrong with that. When we have so much, there's just something wrong with that. Now, we've talked about that. We've talked about a church that is relevant as a church that has a heart, a passion, a heartbeat for reaching people for Christ. And we've talked about how that we, as a church, we want to have a heartbeat for, for, uh, for being a generous church to meet the physical needs of people in our world. So we do that. I mean, we do, we do all kinds of ministries and missions and Navajo and all kinds of things. We, we want to meet the physical needs of people in our world. But please hear me carefully on this. And I do not say this casually or flippantly. But of all the horrific stories of starvation and hunger and thirst, and there are many, they pale in comparison to the utter devastation of an unfulfilled spiritual hunger and unquenched spiritual thirst. The one tragically leads to the death of a body. The other to eternal death of a soul. To a physically starving person, death can be almost a relief. But to the spiritually starving person, death is hell. It's absence from God and it lasts forever. When Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. He was trying to communicate a fundamental, absolute truth. And it's this. The person who hungers and thirsts for God will be filled. It's a promise. Will be satisfied. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, you, you recognize that Jesus is describing this kingdom way of living. And in the kingdom way of living, everything seems to be upside down. The broken are happy. How does that work, right? The weak are strong. The poor are rich. And in the Beatitudes, those who are hungry and thirsty are satisfied. This truth, at least for me, kind of evokes three important questions. Let me share those questions with you. The first one is this. What does it mean to be desperately hungry? Now, granted, in my life, there's been very, very few times when I've been really, really hungry. I've had everything I've wanted all of my life, obviously. You know, I, like many of us, I need to lose 30 pounds. And so I have plenty of food. There's no shortage of food where I've been. There's been a couple times in my life when I have fasted for three or four days. And I felt pretty hungry. But even that wasn't so bad. I mean, most of us as Americans, we have spoiled stomachs. We don't really get hungry. We just have spoiled stomachs that... You know, every couple hours we want to eat something again. So, so, so I, I really have never been desperately hungry. Um, John McCain, Senator John McCain, 
was desperately hungry when he was in a POW camp in Vietnam. Tom Hanks and Castaway, you know, when you squeeze the guts out of a crab and drink that, you're hungry, right? Desperate hunger is foreign to probably all of us in here. As Westerners and Americans, we have plenty of food. And there's exceptions, of course. We know there are many poor and homeless that, that that's not the case. But for most of us, we have plenty to eat. In fact, we seem not so much concerned about eating, but we seem concerned about what we eat. The quality of what we eat or the, the value of what we eat and instead of do we have enough to eat. We, we care about health implications, which is good, right? Uh, by the way, those of you that continue to bring your, Halloween, your leftover Halloween candy to church, stop it. Okay? Please, stop it. You know, we in the office want to tell you stop it. Okay? You take care of it yourself. You know, do something else with it. But you know, we're not really hungry, you know. We, now, we're consumed about eating healthy food. Let me offer you some, a couple of nutrition facts. Number one, the Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. Okay? Well-known fact. Number two, the Mexicans eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. Okay? Number three, the Chinese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Italians drink a lot of red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Germans drink a lot of beer and eat lots and lots of sausages and fats and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The conclusion is this. Eat and drink what you like. Speaking English is apparently what kills you. <laughs> but, but we're, so we're concerned about food. What's the definition of hunger? Okay, here's the definition of hunger. Hunger is a driving force. It's a strong desire. It's a single-minded ambition. In other words, you will do whatever it takes to satisfy that strong desire in your life. Now, we use this word hunger rather glibly. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I tell Sherry, I'm hungry. Really, my stomach's spoiled, but I, I, I say I'm hungry. Uh, in sports, uh, recently, everybody was trying to win the World Series, right? Including the D-backs had a, had a shot at it. And, and, and the St. Louis Cardinals finally won. The, but, but you hear these people interviewed, I'm hungry for a World Series title. I'm hungry. I'm desperate. I want that. Uh, you, you hear that in football, too. Teams are hungry to uh, win the Super Bowl. Now, the Cardinals are just hungry for a win. Uh, it, you know, just one win is all they want. But, but you're hungry. That's the, the terminology that we hear. In academia, hung, I'm hungry for knowledge. Um, Braveheart, if you remember the movie, Mel Gibson played William uh, Wallace. Uh, he, he was hungry for freedom. And some of you right now are hungry for Payway or Chipotle or in and out Burger. You know what? I, I probably shouldn't have said that. I just lost about half of you because uh, that's all you're going to think about now. Uh, but, but biblical hunger is different than all of that. Biblical hunger is much more acute um, than a desire for a burrito. Uh, biblical hunger, Jesus uses the metaphor that speaks to a biological, physical, a cellular-based need for something. It's so deep and so acute, without that particular thing, we will die. It's more than want or desire, it's a crave. It's absolutely essential to survival. To, it's a source of life to us. And I will do anything to get it, to keep it, to hold on to it, to have it. That's what it means to be hungry in the Bible. It's a very different nuance. 
In fact, the word is used most easily in our uh, context, in our society, as the word addiction. Now, those of us, and I'm one of those who have experienced addictions in their life, you know what I mean. There's something so deep inside of you that craves that thing. It, It is so much a part of who you are that you will do anything to get it. That's what it means to be desperately hungry. And that leads us to the next question. What is it that we hunger for? I'm assuming that we all believe and understand that every person that we know, including ourselves, experiences hunger, uh, a thirst in life. Not, not just physically, but a hunger deep in the soul. I mean, all human beings have, we, we know this from what people tell us, that have this value that, or this hunger for, for meaning, for value, for belonging, for a purpose. Everyone has these deep hungers. The difference is, in our world, is not that some are hungry and some are not. The difference is what we hunger for. Hunger is common to all of us. It's as true for a, a man on Skid Row as it is for the CEO of Intel. It's as true for a prostitute on Van Buren Street or for a housewife in Scottsdale. It's as true for a thief or for your neighbor, unless your neighbor is a thief. What separates us is not hunger, but what we hunger for, what we long for. What is it that we have come to believe will satisfy that deep part of us, that sometimes hidden part of us that only we know about? What is it it that, that we have come to believe will make us our life work and make our life happy and content? What is it deep inside of us that we really believe will do that for us? The prophet Amos in the Old Testament tells the children of Israel in Amos 2, 7, these words, they pant after the dust of the earth. Now, Amos told the Israelites that they were trying to satisfy their hunger and quench their thirst for the dust of the Sinai desert. And and that's not literally what he was saying, of course. But he was telling them that the things that they have come to believe will satisfy them, will literally taste like the dust of the Sinai desert. They were trying to be satisfied on that which does not satisfy. Amos 8.11 says, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is that when you are so hungry or thirsty, whether it's food or something else you have come to believe will satisfy you, when you are really desperately hungry, you can't hear the Lord. Because you're so focused on that thing that you just have to have to make your life work. You can't hear. So use a famine in our world today of hearing the words of the Lord. Isaiah said it, Isaiah said it another way. He said people are seeking to satisfy a hunger to be filled with that which is, Isaiah 55 too, that which is not bread. <laughs> you're trying to satisfy a hunger with something that is not bread. Those things which we have come to believe will satisfy us. Amos says they're dust. 
Isaiah said, you can eat all day long, but it's not going to satisfy you. I mean, even good things, right? We're all, we're all together in this. Uh, three bedrooms, two cars, a boat, and a pop-up. It's dust. I mean, they do not satisfy. Status, family, education, sex, religion, all things that in their context are very, very good, but they do not satisfy, at least not for long. They are dust. Now, here's the truth of the Word of God, and this is the truth of the Kingdom of God, and this is the truth of those who really have a hungry heart for God, and it's this, and it's simply this. Only Jesus satisfies. That sounds so simplistic, and that sounds so um, untheological, but that is the absolute truth of God's Word. Only Jesus, Jesus can satisfy that deep need in your soul. Because that deep emptiness in your soul is that connection with God, that connection with the eternal, that connection with forever. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 4, many of you know the story. Well, we just talked about it at our men's group on Friday. In John 4, uh, Jesus comes to the woman at the well. You know the story. What's interesting about the story is that the woman at the well... First of all, she was a woman, and Jewish rabbis, like Jesus, weren't allowed to talk to women. But she was a Samaritan. She was a half-breed. She was neither Jew nor Gentile. She was kind of somewhere in between, and everybody just kind of rejected her. So Jesus comes to this woman, and immediately he talks to her about that deep need in her soul. He said, I need some water. You want some water? She said, sure, I want some water. She said, but I've got water that will satisfy you in a way that you've never been satisfied before. She said, I want some of that water. He said, it's, it, you've, you've tried men. You know, this woman obviously was looking for emotional uh, uh, connection. She was looking for acceptance. She was looking for physical, emotional love from a man. She'd been married five times. And the man she was living with now was not her husband. She was living outside of, of marriage. And, and all of these uh, sexual relationships, as you know, women tend to give uh, sex for love and men tend to give love for sex and and, and, and there's, there's all of this inappropriate stuff going on. And Jesus said, you know what? All these things that you've tried, none of it works. None of it works. But let me tell you something. This dear woman, I'll give you water that will never, that will never run dry. I will give you a water that is so complete that you will never, ever, ever be thirsty again. Listen to John 4, 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you want your thirst quenched like that? Do you want your hunger satisfied like that, personally, completely, eternally. Jesus said, only I can satisfy your hunger and quench your thirst. In October of 1989, you know the story, um, our son Tyler was killed. He was 10 years old, and after the memorial service and after everything was over, we still had a lot of family in our house. My parents, or at least my, my mom, my dad was already passed. Sherry's mom and dad, my sisters, her We just had a, 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 you know, a full house of people trying to minister to us, be with us. And I remember lying on the couch one Sunday afternoon, and I, it, it, it felt weird because I didn't go to church that Sunday. I didn't preach. I didn't go to church. But 
So we did some church in our house. But afterwards, I was laying on the couch watching the Broncos game. And and I and I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, the things that I thought really satisfied me. They don't. I my love for football just didn't seem to matter. Didn't make any difference whatsoever. Um, People would say, uh, my mom especially, son, do you want something to eat? I didn't feel like eating. You want something to drink? Oh, yeah, maybe I'll have some water. Uh, all the things that I had come to believe that really mattered, that really made my life the way it was, um, all of those props were taken out. And I thought, Lord, you're the only thing I have left. And I'm not too sure about you because uh, you took my son Come on. He's 10 years old. Take some 10-year-old kid that's been abused. Take some 10-year-old girl that's been raped by her father or her uncle. Take that child to heaven with you. But not my kid. Come on. And so there's this anger and everything. But still, as I laid on the couch and I thought all these things, and this phrase came to me and it was, all that matters. In fact, the the name of the sermon, that I, the first sermon I preached when I went back to the church was that very thing, all that matters. And you know what it comes down to? All that matters? Jesus in my life. Everything else is okay. Everything else is good. But you know what? I'm not, we're just passing through this world. Can't take it with us. No U-Hauls to heaven. You know, we're just kind of passing through. All that matters is Jesus. Everything else is dust. In Matthew 5, 6, in uh, the message, which isn't a... Uh, translation, but it's a wonderful paraphrase. Listen to these words. I think it's really beautiful the way it's spoken. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. He is the food and drink that satisfies. One last question. It's this. Where does this hunger come from? Well, a hunger comes from a lack. All hunger does. Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, all hunger comes from a lack. Lack of food, lack of purpose, uh, lack of a championship, lack of money, lack of joy. It all comes from those things. And, and the best example, maybe, of a lack is religion. Now, it's, it's kind of weird to hear a pastor talk about religion this way, but religion can be very much the enemy of the, the believer because religion in its simplest form is you and I like the Tower of Babel trying to build something, erect something that gets us to God, right? We're trying to climb higher, be good. We have the checklist, you know, do this, do this, do this. And, we, and we're climbing a lot, trying to get to God. That's religion. But religion never works. Christianity, on the other hand, is uh, God coming down to man. He's climbing down to us, to our level. That's Jesus Christ. Religion is about doing things. In fact, some people define religion as D-O and Christianity as D-O-N-E. What we can't do for ourselves, Christ did for us. And so we're busy, busy, busy doing all of these things, trying to somehow let God know that we're okay, that we're acceptable. And and the Bible says that all of our efforts are like filthy rags. That's pretty mean. (laughs) Filthy rags and so we climb up the Tower of Babel in our, our, Babel in our efforts and, and the law said, well, I'm going to keep the law. But we can't keep the law. No one has ever kept the law. So 
But the law, Paul says in Galatians, says that the law is like a schoolmaster. It points to the fact that the law is still good, but you can't keep it. And so we come to this point of, what do I do? I can't reach God. I can't keep the law. I can't have the right attitude. I can't do the right things. And, And all of that leads us to this one beautiful thing. God says, I know it. I know you can't do that. But I've provided a way through Jesus Christ. I provided a way where you can literally connect with God hand to hand. And that's through Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. Whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. It's about a relationship. It's not about keeping rules. It's not about a checklist. It's about a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know what that hole, that emptiness in your soul is? You've tried to fill it with a lot of things, so have I. Food, gambling, all kinds of things. Drink, sex, relationships, job, religion, lots of things we've tried to fill. All of them fail. They may last for a few moments, but all of them fail. Religious activities, dust. Profession, jobs, money, status, dust. Being the perfect parent, a great employee, an ideal spouse, Dust, dust, and dust. But when you have come to believe that there is nothing in life that will fully satisfy your hunger and quench your thirst, you step into kingdom living, to Christ-centered loving, and realize, Lord Jesus, my only hope is you. My only hope is you. Paul said it this way. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Nothing else satisfies. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we...